You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces with their fasting, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think you've probably heard me mention before Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was uh, a renowned preacher in the 20th century in London, in Westminster Chapel. Uh, He had this to say about Matthew chapter 6. He said there was no other chapter in the Bible more calculated to promote self-humiliation and humbling. Doesn't that make you almost a little cautious to study this chapter? Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying, this is a chapter that's calculated to to bring you to self-humiliation, to humble you. And yet, because of those words, we see this is something not just Christ's disciples in the first century needed to hear, but something each of us needs to hear. And so you notice in Matthew chapter 6, There's a shift now in subject matter. Matthew 5, Jesus talked about righteous acts, what righteousness looks like. And we are to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. But now in Matthew chapter 6, a new subject is introduced, and that is now the right motives behind your actions. And so now we're going to peer much deeper into the subject of motives. And so if you look at verse 1, Jesus begins with both an exhortation and an explanation. So verse 1 starts us off with an exhortation and an explanation. So the exhortation is in the very first part of the verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Uh, The verb there, beware, is a a strong word, um, and it it tells us 
that there's an exhortation here to beware of having the wrong motives. In other words, here, even as disciples, we can be doing things that are right and pleasing, but possibly have the wrong motives. This led Martin Luther to say that, that sometimes righteousness is to be feared more than sin. And so in this exhortation, the word beware means hold this matter in mind. Consciously keep this before you. In other words, what, what is your desire? Is your desire to be seen by others and to look at what they think of you rather than, as we'll see, what, what your heavenly father thinks of you? So the exhortation is followed by an explanation. Well, why should that concern us? Why should we be aware of our motives? Well, the second half of verse 1 says, For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, if these acts of following Christ are not done from the right motives, there will be no reward from your heavenly father. That, that's the explanation for why there's the exhortation. And the thought I'd like you to keep before you as we kind of work our way now through how Jesus explains this would be that who your audience is will be who will reward you. Who your audience is will be who you will be rewarded with. And so Jesus does something now in that he set that basic principle out there in verse one. He's put it right up front for all of us. Now Jesus will go through three illustrations to unpack that exhortation and explanation. But before we get into that, I want to set up for you the, the structure in which those three illustrations are going to follow a certain pattern. So here's, here's the structure that you will pick up on immediately. Uh, with each of these illustrations, you're going to see this. First, there'll be a warning not to seek the audience of others and their praise. So that's the first thing you'll see in each of them. There, there's a warning, do not seek to be seen by others, to seek an audience of others. The second part of the structure will be a guarantee of what will happen if you ignore this warning. So a guarantee now of what will happen if you ignore the warning given in number one. The third element in the structure is instructions on how to have the right motives. So notice that Jesus never just simply says, well, don't do this, but then you have the proactive counsel, here's what you need to do instead. So the third step or element in this structure will be instructions, how do we have the right motives? And then finally, in the fourth part, you'll see an assurance that what is done in secret will be rewarded openly by your Father in heaven. The assurance that what is done in secret will be rewarded openly by your heavenly father. 
So that sets in a way the grid to now look at the three illustrations Jesus walks us through. So notice the first illustration is in verses two and following. And it's this, checking your motives when giving. So our first illustration is on giving. Keep in mind that giving or almsgiving, charity is all the same thing. Charity, prayer, and fasting are three very pious and holy acts in Judaism. So Jesus touches on, on each of these key things. If you were a Jew listening to this, you would be all in for it. These are three important qualifications. These are three important obligations we have as followers of God. But Jesus is going to say, well, you need to be checking your motives now. And so let's take a look at this first one, uh, checking your motives when giving. Notice verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so notice you begin with, here is what you are warned against, giving to be seen and recognized by others. And I don't think I need to tell you that because we're sinful creatures, we want others to see things that we do. We, we want them to notice us. We, we want them to say, well, look, well, you know, that is really great that you did that. So Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain here and says, well, this marks those who are hypocrites. You'll notice this word hypocrite will come up in each of the illustrations. For those who pray with the wrong motives, those who give with the wrong motives, and those who fast with the wrong motives. They're all called hypocrites, which, as you probably know, literally means one who wears a mask. And it seems to be that the hypocrite here is not one who is necessarily deceiving others, but it's the person who is deceiving themselves because they think they are righteous. They think by just doing these outward actions, God is pleased with them. Now notice the, the reference there, you know, do not, do not announce it with trumpets. Uh, there's been lots of biblical <clears throat> interpretation of this phrase. Uh, sometimes you'll say, well, maybe, you know, it's meant literally that they actually, you know, blew trumpets. There really is no evidence in Judaism of, of literally blowing trumpets. Uh, I think it's meant to be more metaphorical. Uh, we do know in the temple there were 13 trumpet-shaped um, utensils for collecting their offerings. Uh, but I think it's more metaphorical. In other words, we might say it this way. Uh, you know, don't don't blow your own horn. Don't don't pat yourself on your back. In other words, for those who are giving, but they're giving for the audience of others. They they want the recognition. They they want the praise for what they're doing. And you, and you'll notice the result. There there are results for people who function this way, which sadly marked generally the Pharisees and scribes, but, but a majority of the people uh, of Jewish origin here. Notice the results. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, 
they have received the reward. Uh, now again, you, you find something interesting in Matthew. Over 30 times he uses this word where Jesus says, truly I say. Some translations might say verily, verily. It literally is the word amen, which is put right at the front of the sentence to emphasize the certainty of it. Jesus is saying they, they got their reward. Their reward was that momentary applause of people, maybe that sense of, of awe that people had as they, they looked at you know, someone coming through the, the temple to put in their money and they deliberately put it in slowly, uh, loudly, um, you know, made a point of kind of drawing attention to what they were doing. They have received their reward. And, and notice Jesus, this word that's used here, reward is a commercial term, which should strike us as interest because remember Matthew's background. Matthew was a tax collector. So he uses a word that is a commercial word that, that means basically paid in full. That they put their giving in this way to get the applause, the audience of others, and they were paid in full at that moment for that act. Now we contrast that in verses three and four. Well, what does giving with the right motives look like? If, if we're warned to not do this, which tells us we're all susceptible to this, that how can we guard our hearts to give correctly? Well, you notice in verses three and four, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. So here we have a picture of the, the secrecy in which we give, that it should be done in, in the most sense of, of privacy. I was struck by something that was in the news this week with, uh, you don't have to be a basketball fan to probably know who Shaquille O'Neal is. Uh, and so it kind of went viral. He was in a jewelry store shopping for something for himself. And he saw a young man in there who was putting his engagement ring on layaway. And he went and paid it off for him. Now, it was a very nice gesture to do. Uh, he said that he didn't intend it to be put out in the media, but it got out there. But what struck me was when he was talking about this in an interview, he then went on to say, well, I try to do stuff like this every day. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's really nice, but, but now you've kind of announced it. You, you've drawn attention to, to this in a way that you didn't need to. And it sort of reminds you in this case, our giving, not just for special needs and projects, but, but even our, our giving in church uh, out of our finances is to be done in a way that, that we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, to either the amount we give, to this is more than someone else, uh, that it should be done unto the audience of one, and that is to God, that we desire to delight God with our obedience. And you notice that Jesus is very careful in verse four. Well, what's the result of giving with the right motive? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And we know the correct context of reward there is, yes, paid in full, 
But that doesn't mean material blessings necessarily, but it means obedience. It can refer to eternal rewards in terms of us practicing not just religious acts, but a heart that truly loves God that is behind those displays of obedience. So his first illustration would have caught the attention, certainly of his disciples, when you come to this very important subject of giving, and Jesus says, you know, check, check your motives when you give. But now we move to the second illustration, and that's check your motives when praying. No wonder, as I said, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that this chapter, like no other, just kind of should bring all of us to our needs. Not to be thinking, well, gee, I'm glad such and such is hearing this, but, but I need to hear this. And, and how do I sometimes find my motives are not what they should be? So let's consider the second illustration. This is in verses five and six. Once again, we start with those who pray to be seen. They, they pray for an audience with others. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Now, very interesting, it says here, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. It reminds me in Luke 18, where there's a, a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who come to pray. They both go to the temple to pray. So the Pharisees loved to pray. But notice it's the motives here that are so amiss. And there could be a thought here when it says they love to pray on, not just in the synagogue, but maybe on the street corners, that uh, it is said that sometimes there'd be a certain uh, bell that would be rang if there was an immediate kind of need uh, among the people or some kind of special offering that was going to be called for. And the thought is maybe for some Pharisees, when they heard that bell, they would just stop where they were in the middle of a street and, and start to pray. Now, it's great to pray, but is that being ostentatious? You know, drawing attention to yourself and saying, well, look look at me. Look at how spiritual I am. Uh, I, I just pray no matter where I am. And the thought being there is, yes, we should pray. I, I think it's good for us to pray if you go out for a meal. To, to bow your head and pray. I don't think you need to stand up at your table and, and pray in such a loud voice that everybody around you knows you're praying. Then you're doing nothing different, I think, than the Pharisees here. You, you want an audience. You, you want people to notice you, not so much thinking, is my prayer directed and pleasing to God? Uh, look at me at John chapter 12 for just a minute here. John chapter 12, and Jesus refers to a prophecy that Isaiah gave. So prophecy over 600 years before Christ's birth. But Jesus ties that into the general attitude of the people of Israel 
during the time he's walking among them. And so in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, Jesus says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogues, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. He's saying they, they wanted an audience, even when they prayed. And, and what's the result? Well, if we go back to Matthew chapter 6 and the end of verse 5, truly, amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, they have received their payment in full from the audience that they have geared their prayer towards. So what does it look like to pray with right motives? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 6, but when you pray, and I'm sure you've picked up on this, it is assumed in each of these illustrations that believers will be doing these things. So he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, the, the assumption is his disciples will be doing this. Uh, certainly the issue of fasting, we'll see. Jesus spoke about how, you know, you don't fast when the bridegroom's among you, but, but there will be a time when he will not be here, and this will be something uh, you should consider at times. But let's go back to the, the issue of prayer here and notice the instructions given for right motives. In verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. Now, the word room is interesting. Uh, some translations have a closet, go into your closet. Um, other translations more accurately say, go into your storeroom. So think for a moment of a typical Palestinian that there's probably only one room in that home that locks. That's the storeroom. And actually the storeroom would be the least sacred that you might think of, of any room in your house. Uh, it would be the equivalent today of maybe saying, go into your, your shed and pray. You know, go into the place where you keep all your tools, or maybe you have animals or supplies in there, Go in there and pray. And we know it's not the location that Jesus is after here, because he would have picked that a more sacred place. Like go to the temple, sit somewhere in the temple and pray. But his point is find a place where you privately, with as best you can without interruption, and go to the Lord in prayer and talk to your father in secret. Now, Jesus is clearly not prohibiting public prayer because Jesus prayed publicly. The early church prayed publicly. But what Jesus is condemning is if you pray publicly to be seen and heard by others, that is wrong. And that's the tone that we see of many of the religious leaders. They pray for their audience. To, to leave them impressed, to leave them with the impression, wow, those, those people, they are so spiritual. 
They, they are so holy. Notice if you just look across the page at Matthew 5 and verse 16, um, you may be left with a question, well, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say something completely opposite of this earlier in the sermon? So if you look with me at Matthew 5 and verse 16, there Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, so which is it? Are we supposed to let our actions shine and be visible to others? Or are we supposed to keep everything secret? Well, we know scripture does not contradict itself. So Jesus seems to be setting forth our testimony should be visible. But there's a difference in 516. Jesus is dealing with our testimony before unbelievers. In Matthew 6, he's dealing really with your witness and testimony before other believers. And in each, he's saying, if you're doing it for the applause of others, if that is who your audience is, then you have gotten your full reward. But once again, we come back to here, well, what, what's the, the results of praying first privately, of, of going before God in a right heart and through his Holy Spirit? Well, you notice the end of verse 6 says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So an assurance again that what is done in secret and done to please the audience of one is of lasting value and worth. What, what, what a contrast for us to consider here, that, that immediate rush that the religious leaders received, the attention they received at that moment, uh, the praise and awe of others, that's it. First, Jesus saying to his disciples, if you come to me, and pray to me with the right motives. You walk away knowing your Father will reward you. But now let's turn to the third illustration. That's down in verses 16 through 18, uh, fasting. Uh, so checking your motives when fasting. Now it is true, there is not a specific command in the New Testament that makes it obligatory that you fast. And in fact, you could set the case that there are some people medically uh, should not physically go without food. But it does open the door that if fasting is a means of abstaining from something to focus and direct your attention more on, on God, your relationship to God, then there are other ways believers can fast. And again, not saying there's a specific number. We know that the Pharisees uh, fasted twice a week, uh, Mondays and probably Thursdays. Uh, later on in church history, you have guys like John Wesley advocating that a particular pastor should fast probably twice a week, definitely on Fridays, like in anticipation of the sermon coming up. 
But when you start to put a number on it, that's when you start to lose the focus of right motives. Well, let, let's look at how even fasting had become twisted and perverted in the first century. So if you look with me at verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So once again, we look, here's fasting done to be seen by others. The audience is other people. What will they, how will they respond? And notice it says here, uh, do not look gloomy. Uh, translations have do not look sad. Uh, in other words, that they wanted others to know that, that they just look different today. And the thought would be, someone might say, oh, are you sad today? What's wrong? And then you have the opportunity to say, no, I'm fasting today. In other words, you're drawing attention to yourself. Secondarily to fasting, but first and foremost, you're drawing attention to yourself. And then you have a, a, an irony here. It says they disfigure their faces that fasting may be seen by others. Uh, the word disfigure literally means to conceal or hide. So the question here is, were they attempting to somehow conceal what they were doing with the purpose of making it obvious to others what they were doing? So it could be possible for some, not only did they maybe leave their hair unkept, uh, for, for maybe unshaved, unwashed, uh, but maybe even for some putting a veil on, making it really obvious that here you're hiding your face but anyone who sees it would be like, why are you doing that? Oh, you must be fasting today. So what a picture of motives that are taking something that could be a spiritual discipline to bring you closer to God and now turning it into something for you to receive the applause and attention of others. And I don't need to tell you what's the result. They have the reward. They got it. People noticed. Someone said something. People thought, quote unquote, highly of them. Notice once again, they are called hypocrites. But let's look at the next aspect of this is praying with the right motives. If, if we can be quick to look at that and say, well, that's, that's just not right. Well, what does it mean to pray? or excuse me, to fast with the right motives. Well, notice verses 17 and 18 of Matthew chapter 6. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it would have been typical in those days, part of daily hygiene might be putting some olive oil on your skin to prevent it from drying. Uh, if you had a full head of hair like me, you might put a little on your head uh, to protect that, uh, to wash your face. So in other words, we should read that and say, Jesus is saying one right motive to fasting would be go through your normal hygiene 
practices. Shower, shave, put on makeup. You don't need to look differently to draw attention to yourself so that people will ask you, what, what's different about you today? Do you ever notice sometimes, I think even as Christians, uh, we can kind of put on a mopey face because we want someone to say to us, oh, what, what's wrong? And then it will give us maybe an opportunity to say, well, you know, my, my life is so hard right now. When you say something like that, who's, who are you drawing all the attention to? Yourself. You're saying, I want some pity. I want some compassion. Uh, I want someone to kind of look at me and say, well, you know, woe is you or things are so difficult for you. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's a place for carrying each other's burdens. But I think you can look at motives and say, clearly at times the motives are not what they should be. And so to have right motives in fasting is to go about your normal activities. God knows you're fasting, why you're fasting. That does not need to be announced, broadcast to anyone else. And again, you have the promise. What's the result? Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The exact opposite of what our sinful nature tells us. Well, if nobody knows I'm doing this, how is anybody going to see it? And maybe if we find ourselves asking that already, it should send off a warning sign that, that our motives are askew. So Jesus, throughout taking verse 1 of chapter 6, explanation and exhortation, unpacks that in three illustrations to say to us, your audience determines what the reward will be. In each of these areas, who are you really doing it for? And I got me thinking about, I don't know, some, some questions, because the purpose of Scripture is always application. Not to just hear it and say, well, I understand it now, but, but to even probe deeper. And so let me ask you a couple questions. I'm asking myself this too. Um, when you give up your time or money in, in any way to serve the church, do you want others to know about it? Like in other words, do you, do you look for ways to kind of let others know, well, well this is what I did this week. You know, so let, let's say if I came up to the church and worked on something, um, and maybe I would say, gee, I don't want to really brag about it, but, but I could do this. I could say to someone, uh, they might say, well, how was your week? And if I started it this way, well, you know, it was really hard to get a sermon done because I was up at the church and I was working around on some things. Notice what I've done. I've drawn the attention like I want to be praised. I want to have some applause. I'm looking to the wrong audience for my reward. And I think it is healthy for us to ask ourselves sometimes, when, when you do something for the church, when, when even in your giving, are, are you sometimes looking and want others to know about it? Then we get to the subject of prayer. And I realize we're going to be praying together this afternoon. Uh, so maybe it's a good thing to think about. Do you pray differently in public than you play in, pray in private? Because Jesus was not prohibiting, as we said, 
publicly praying. There, there's an important role that corporate prayer plays. But your corporate prayer should grow out of your private prayers. And if you only pray publicly in a way to be heard or impress others, but your private prayer life is nothing, that is not delighting God. And every, every pastor has to wrestle with this because there, there is a sense in which, and, and hopefully I don't fall into this, but, I, but I've heard sometimes where all of a sudden it's time to pray and someone sounds completely different than they normally would talk. They, they almost take on a whole pastoral tone and language. They want to say, wait a minute, is, is that really how you just normally talk? And so we should ask ourselves, yeah, do, does my praying in public sound different than when I pray privately? And there is a place in our private prayers we might cover different topics that we may not address publicly, but I think the tone and how we pray should be consistent. There's not a difference between how I pray privately and, and how I pray when I'm with a brother or sister in Christ. Another one that may be interesting us to think about is just our activity on social media. Uh, whatever that level is for, for some of you, you know, is our activity on social media sometimes more spiritually to draw attention to ourselves, to draw attention to how smart we are, how much we know about scripture, how we are able to refute someone else? I mean, these are all questions that deal with Motives. You know, who, what audience are we seeking to please? I'm mindful of the fact that we haven't been able to see our, our grandchildren for some time. Uh, and so FaceTime helps, but it's not the same. But there's something that Felix does when we FaceTime that reminds me of the attitude Jesus is getting at here. Uh, Felix will want you to watch him do something. He will be like, watch me, watch me, look at me. Is it possible? Many times as Christians, that's what we're saying. You know, I, I want others to watch me. I want them to notice me. I want them to see that I pray, that I give, that I'm serious about Christ. Well, just remember the audience you're doing that for determines the reward that you receive. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you. That scripture is a double-edged sword. It is meant to cut and divide, to convict, but also to heal and to restore. And so I do ask that no matter how long we have known Christ as our Lord and Savior, um, we would never forget the importance of examining our motives in all that we say and all that we do and ask ourselves, who is it that we are really doing this for? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.